anytime a dispute arises, people people tend to take it out on the person least able to defend themselves. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And for the most part, most subcontractors are really not capable of defending themselves. They're just not, it's not their, it's not their skill set. No. It's not, what, it's not what we do. People, people, okay, settle down. I know everybody's as excited as I am. We're all wood floor pros here, so let's start to act like one. Welcome aboard. I'm Steve Diggins, your first officer for the Wood Floor Business Magazine podcast, All Things Wood Floor, and I have the con. Today, I have the distinct pleasure to be talking with a legend in our wood flooring industry, Mr. Howard Brickman. Howard started his career in wood flooring as the manager of inspection and school services for the National Oak Flooring Manufacturers Association. In 1984, he became the founder and president of Brickman Consulting, where he's provided expert services to the wood flooring industry and construction industries for more than 30 years. Howard has done some extensive consulting on huge flooring projects in New York City. He's taught many flooring schools, appeared on this old house, performed countless wood flooring inspections, and he continues his installation business, keeping him right in the trenches with boots on the ground today. He is, people, the floor pro's floor pro. You're talking wood flooring, this is the man. And he's talking with us today, sharing his expert advice and insights that just might keep some of us uh, pro wannabes uh, in line and out of trouble. ATWF, all things wood floor, I am Steve Diggins, and please, a massive WFB welcome for the man, Howard Brickman. Let's get to it. My friend, Howard Brickman, welcome to Wood Floor Business Magazine's All Things Wood Floor podcast. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you on board, sir. Hello, Stephen. Uh, it's good to uh, talk to you today. Uh, look forward to our chat. Same here, Howard. And again, uh, thank you for joining me here today. Uh, we'll jump right in. A little background on you. Uh, United States Air Force, you were in Vietnam, 1971 to 1977, on board B-52s as a navigator bombardier. Uh, you moved on to become an air traffic controller in Memphis. How did you end up working with hardwood flooring and winding up with such an amazing career in our industry? So I was going to night school in uh, architectural engineering uh, at um, uh, State Technical Institute in Memphis. And um, one of my instructors came up to me one night and he says, Howard, he says, there's a job posted on the board. I think this is right up your alley. And it was for the assistant director of technical services for the National Oak Flooring Manufacturers Association. That's where it starts. So, um, so I answered the thing. They called me in for an interview, and they hired me. I took a pretty monster pay cut to take the job, but it just seemed very interesting. And so um, uh, I started there, and then I, um, uh, I like to tell people I started at the top. And I've gradually worked my way all the way to the bottom. Right, exactly you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You 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 went from uh, your your pleated suit and hat and to to your overalls, which you're famous for. So I applaud you for that. <laughs> so we got our we have our assignment for the evening. Um, as you know, it, material that we've taken from some of the seminars and the things that you teach, and with your military background, I went straight for the acronyms. 
when when my father-in-law was working for Lockheed Martin when they combined the corporations, he was an engineer, but he's no writer. So I would work for Lockheed Martin writing acronyms. I would just sit down, and they'd give me all their programs, and they'd say, we're putting Lockheed and Martin together. And so I wrote Lock Ness, which was like uh, locational, navigational security. You, you know how the military and the engineers love them. So for you, I had to make sure I skip over Snafu, Tarfu, Figmo, and Fubar. Anything with an F, <laughs> out. But starting with something I had written down, and you know where this comes from, integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. The Air Force motto, and I was thinking about it because we talk all the time in like, what's the difference between someone like you or people in the industry, all the different people, it seems to be an integrity level. You meet people that really know their craftsmanship. There seems to be an integrity level. There's a dedication to doing it right, doing it right the first time. And that's where this all came about. I was reading about your approach to getting things done right. You know, you wrote, because um, we were getting set up for this, and I, like I was saying, acronyms, I had, you had written an article I read, and it was about um, inspector documentation. The whole theme was to get ahead of problems and issues before they even arise. And if you're doing an inspection, it should be documented. And I remember I wrote in my notes, PI. It's as easy as pie, P-I-E, because you had taught uh, permanently record, irrefutable, and easily retrieved. That sounds familiar to you, right? Yeah. Okay. That's where I thought we'd start with the podcast, because I think that's what we're going to talk about is the top ways that wood flooring contractors get into trouble, and we know how they get into trouble, but on the, on the job type of trouble, and that is your expertise. I broke it down into what I saw from some of the seminars you did, that you, you were going over their categories, um, and I, I call that SET, S-E-T, significant, external, and trivial. You want to go over those with me? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, actually, I, I've kind of refined that a little bit. Oh, good. That's all I yours. Ex- existential. Okay significant yep and trivial and i i switched them because i couldn't remember est <laughs> so i put it set and i said i wrote a note let howard pick any order he well pleases so well, est e- works too yeah yeah, so. yeah sure there you go so, i didn't ever never thought of thinking as an acronym that's actually pretty cool starting with existential problems why don't we you go there with and explain that to us well an, an existential problem is is something that that basically puts you out of business. Okay. It's something that's uh, significant, but there's, there's so much risk and liability associated with it. Uh, at such a high number that, um, you just simply, there's no way you could pay the bill. Sure. And if you were to pay the bill out of your resources, you would never have any money left the rest of your life. Probably. Those are problems that can occur. I think, One of the things that a lot of guys are smart about is that they stay with small jobs. And so they basically eliminate that existential threat because they don't do anything that's not large enough that they can't work around it in some way. That's a good point. I remember I had me and my guy and then it wound up at 1.22 guys didn't make money. Then I would form in everything. I'm not making money. And then, like you're saying, it's a little different. There's always a crew that's a little off that did something a little wrong. And I used to say, you know, we can't afford a, 
$2,000 loss or a $5,000 lawsuit or a $10,000 lawsuit. We'll, we, we can't afford any of that. There's not enough profit in that. You're, you're absolutely right. And I know it's, you say sometimes it could be three to four times your cost. Yeah, especially, uh, I, you know, once these things go legal. So there's, there's things you can do with the way you manage your, your, your relationships with your customers. And uh, I think the major thing that really manages that relationship is your contract. Contracts, and I got them from the NDWFA when I first got into it in 87. I believe a lot of states, depending on the dollar value, I think it's as low as $1,200. You, you should have, you have to have a contract, pretty much. You pretty much do. And especially, um, um, you know, contracts, uh, uh, risk, uh, liability, um, um, and the things a lot of people don't think about is that when you do a job without being paid first, mm-hmm. you're extending credit to people. Oh, that's true. And so essentially, uh, in, in many cases, it, in larger jobs, it could be a lot of money. It could be six figures, not six figures, but, you know, five figures. Sure. Uh, it could be $25,000, dollars $40,000 for the labor portion on a, on a fairly substantial job. And if you're paying other people to work for you, uh, you're not keeping all of that labor money. I mean, that labor money is you're only keeping part of it. And so um, uh, uh, you have to think about how that, especially you, you not only have the, the the risk associated with something going wrong, but the other big thing about going wrong is is the credit part of it. Sure. And and how many people in our business really manage their credit properly? Now, I know that I go to the grocery store, I get to the checkout counter, and I'd say, uh, you know, I really like this pot roast, but, you know, I'm a little light on the cash. Um, I'll come back and pay you for it next week. Yeah. Uh, you got to leave the pot <laughs> roast at the checkout counter. <laughs> we have people grab screens and discs and things and say, I'll, I'll catch up with you some other time. I'm like, what do you, do you walk in and grab a lawn tractor and tell Sears you're going to pay for it a month from now? Oh, yeah. you're, you know, I got my flooring certification. They have a, a general flooring certification down in, um, in Washington, D.C., like Falls Church. And I studied for months for that. And I went down and got it. And I, I learned a great deal there. First of all, um, you're to be paid up front, but no more than I think is 50%. Um, you automatically agree to arbitration if there's any type of issues. It's it's so different than around here. Everybody seems to fly by the seat of their pants and no, you know, contract, no contract. I mean, I've gotten big bids I worked on where I put up a million-dollar bond and went to my insurance company, and at midnight, somebody faxes a cocktail napkin to their buddy, and they get the job, you know, for $8,000 less than me. I know. those. And you were talking about it with the existential problems these are the kind of problems that'll take a business down. Yeah. So someone owes you uh, six figures, mm-hmm. you know, if, uh, if you're like doing a large contract job, which has a 60 day, you know, payment lag on it. Some, and if you're not careful, some of these contracts you sign with general contractors have a pay as paid clause in them. Yes. And that's pretty scary because you're not only extending credit to that guy, but you're extending credit to his customer. His customer. Yeah, that's the old first 15th. We'll pay on the first, submit your work, and we'll pay on the 15th. And you could be early. They'll never pay on those dates. No. Not without buying a lot of donuts and coffee for the office people. 
Yeah, you pay. They'll pay you on the fifteenth. They just don't tell you which month. <laughs> yes, I remember working at St. Paul's up in Concord, you know, where John Kerry went, and we did forty-two thousand feet. And I remember taking out a personal loan to cover the payroll for my guys because of how long the contracts were tied up and how long right. they did. And I left the industry, went to work in distribution, and I got that money. Um, three months after I left Hardwood Floor Sanding and was in distribution. That's how long it took me. I didn't want my guys to think there was a money issue. I wanted to make sure that they got paid. But yeah. like you said, think about it. What if that went bad? Yeah. That would have messed up. Starbucks. Yeah, I, I remember going up to Dorchester High School one time. Uh, I was hired by a general contractor. He had uh, sanded and finished course. Dorchester High School has got to be... 100,000 feet or something like that. Whoa. You know, it's just a, you know, it's a big old high school, you know, it's, it's, it's monster and it's all wood floors an old, old building with wood floors everywhere. And so um, they had used some sealer and finish from a company in New Jersey. And I mean, every square inch of finish was peeling from the sealer. Ooh. And I'm not talking like a little here, a little there. Every place you tested it, yeah. in the middle of the floor, in the corner, where they walked, where they didn't walk, every everywhere you tested it, the finish peeled off with your with your thumbnail, Whoa. with a piece of scotch a, tape. A quarter. Didn't <laughs> yep. Yeah, whatever. Anything. And so uh, I looked at the, you know, I talked to the guy, and um, and this is a classic case of I took a credit risk on the guy, which was unwarranted. Mm-hmm. I should never I should have got paid first. I, Luckily, it was a small amount. It was it was under a thousand dollars. But anyway, um, I looked at it and I said, you know, you're going to have to resand every square foot of this floor. And he said, uh, this is a hundred and fifty thousand dollar job, and and that was like at a buck and a half a foot. Yeah. You know? Oh boy, that's still a lot of money. Yeah. And I said. Uh, I said, I don't know what to tell you. I said, there's just no way you can rescue this. I mean, you, you can't put anything over stuff that's peeling. And there's no way to peel all that finish off and, and prep it. You know? no and sense. do you really want to try to stick to something that you couldn't stick to the first time? <laughs> yeah, no. That's, what else? And what else can they pay you with? Has anybody ever, sidebar, anybody ever offered to pay you with something else? I've had people try everything under the sun to not pay me money or a check. From tools and equipment to you name it. No, I, I don't, don't. I don't recall anyone ever offering me anything. A lady tried to pay me. I'm not kidding. This is like 1990 with a a blow dart and and darts for a blowgun. She said her husband used it for hunting, and she said, "This is, you will love." The, and I said, "I don't know where. Please just pay us, please." And they had chickens and things all over the yard. I was like, "All right." I told my partner. She just offered to pay me with this big tube that you blow darts out of. It's funny. Oh, when we're when you're talking about these particular things, and these are things that will will take you down. There's where do you go from um, existential to the you know where you say the significant problems that are different. Well, significant are things that are going to cost money to fix, okay, but are are, are are not going to put you out of business. You know, they're they're the things like you know you're not going to get a vacation that year, yep, or you're not going to be able to upgrade your sanding machines. Or um, you may not be able to pay all your bills on time for a month or so. And these are problems that arise from from what? From um, improper, just making mistakes? Could be anything. Anytime a dispute arises, people tend to take 
it out on the person least able to defend themselves. And that's true. And for the most part, most subcontractors are really not capable of defending themselves. They're just not, it's not their, it's not their skill set. No, it's not what we do. No. And you're right. Today it's different too, because the new thing is, is to not be able to defend themselves on social media. One little hair out, literally a hair in the floor, and it's they're putting in all over the place. They're posting four stars, one star, two star, bad stars, bad rating. This person made me angry, and that's not fair either. Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm luckily old enough that I've never had to deal with that. And uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, uh, and back, back in the day when I was running a real company, a real business, uh, it wasn't part of the business. So. Uh, uh, I don't know how you uh, how the younger guys manage that today, where you've got to be paying attention to every little thing. They're starting to navigate it. There, I was talking to Jake Schlichty, and he's a young guy. He, he, there's a lot of good that comes with it, and there's a lot like working with working with Wood Floor Business Magazine. There's a lot I can use to like. For instance, I'm my own photographer now. If I see a story, I want to write something. I can take some great pictures and get them to her. All the, all those things are good. What I was expressing to him that I find difficult is when. You're trying to help somebody like yourself, and before you can focus on everything hardware flooring related, they've already read some article on the internet, and they're going to tell you all everything you need to know. And and mo- really, a lot of what they tell you is just bogus information, terrible place to start. Don't even know where they came up with this stuff, and you have to convince them now that you're smarter than the entire internet. Well, it's, there's just a tremendous amount of bogus information out there, mm-hmm. uh, which um, there's an acronym that I like to use. We're going to call it LOHICA. Okay? No, you're not. No, you're not. That's, that's last of my list. Oh, that's the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Go ahead. Right there. You know why? Because I believe we can't say Bohica, right? Yeah, we can't. We can't say Bohica. <laughs> explain Bohica. That was the last thing I was going to go. You go ahead. You explain it because that's on my list of things to do. Well, uh, look out. Here it comes again. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so essentially it's, it's where um, uh, something is stacked against you. Okay. And you really don't have a, uh, a normal person just has no way of defending against it. For instance, uh, an, an industry guideline that makes you responsible for something just by reference. Oh, okay. So, and uh, let's say there is an installation guideline put on by a, uh, uh, a trade industry association. And it says that the contractor is responsible for everything on the job site, mm-hmm. which it does, by the way. Yeah. It says that. And it's a great tool to have when you're doing inspections and you're doing consulting because it gives you some real power, you know, to, 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 sh- to show, especially in court, they're always looking for what are the industry standards? What are the industry guidelines? What are the industry standards say? And so unless you specifically opt out of those industry standards, you're stuck with them. Yeah, you better find a way to defend yourself. Yeah, there's no defending yourself. Yeah, exactly. Who's the governing body? I've, I've been to court a few times and they want to yeah. know where did you train? What can we go by? What are the standards? And if they're not, and if they're in a package written somewhere, you better have followed them. Can't even get guys to open a box and, and read something. And they really should. For their own defense, they really should. They really should read it. But, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff in those instructions and standards that are really not instructions, and they're not really standards. 
They're disclaimers. They're loose loopholes in disclaimers. Yeah, they're loopholes. Hell disclaimers. Yeah. And so uh, it's like the relative humidity thing. Right. Because uh, in most houses, HVAC, I'd say in 98% of the houses, HVACs control temperature. And temperature and relative humidity are related, mm-hmm. but the humidity is not controlled in most houses. Correct. It's just simply managing the temperature. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in the wintertime, these houses, in fact, right now, this time of year, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's it's wonderful. Because now I, my phone is ringing off the hook. It's, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm sure it's the same with you and your distribution business because everybody's calling because they got a little, I mean, these are little gaps that you could barely stick a business card in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Howard, you make a good point. My, I did the floors in my own house and, you know, I, I've never liked the floor I've done. And I was so proud of myself. It's probably one of the best floors I ever did. And it was fine for five years. Well, then... We gutted out our fireplace and put in a pellet stove. And now, right now, right now, now I'm up to five boards in the house that uh, I've lifted. And I, I talked to this to you about this a few years ago. I remember you said, hey, you know what that is. And they're defective. But I didn't know that till I get the pellet stove, and now they're up so high, and it's hickory. I tried putting 200 pounds on it so maybe I could epoxy it and weight it. And nope, those boards have to come out. And guess what? They don't make that particular engineered portion anymore. Wouldn't have known until I got the pellet stove. Yeah, I mean, and 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 the other thing is, you know, engineered flooring has been, it's breathed life back into my consulting business. I mean, right. <laughs> it has been really wonderful because it's it does get oversold. In the last probably three years, I've looked at more engineering issues, and they're not what you would think. They're really strange um, delaminations and popping and mechanical failures that are measurable. When you're talking about the the existential problems and it it moves into the significant ones, um, is it physically identifiable? Like, well, like a significant problem is, um, you know, you, you, you hit a water pipe or is it more like, what, what is it that's causing the issue here? Typically significant problems are smaller in scale. Okay, sure. Then existential problems. Gotcha. There, you know, there are issues that uh, it could be. I mean, let let's say they have to refinish a job. It's probably not going to put you out of business. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and that would move on to what you were talking about. What a, explain a trivial problem then? And trivial problem is, um, um, you know, I don't like the color of this board. Okay. Or they or the lady says, "What's the matter with this board?" And it turns out that she's got a piece of quarter sawn with real large ray fleck in it and it looks like something is different that board's mm-hmm. ugly and you and i think it's a piece of art exactly and so uh, i call it the uh lice in the ice uh, <laughs> uh, 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 development of the species yep. okay so some people uh they're they're genetically adapted mm-hmm. to have a very, very acute sense of visual acuity, okay? So that they can see all of this detail and color and 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 uh, it's just, just like a flashing red light. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and whereas I look at it and it doesn't, uh, um, uh, one of the expressions I've used over the years is, I can see that the colors are different, 
But if I sit down to dinner and the napkins are not the right color, I don't lose my appetite. Okay? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a little over the top. You, yeah. You brought up a point earlier. You, a little while ago, you said Festool, and it triggered something. Because I'll, I'll tell you this. Somebody I know called me today, and he's just up to his armpit in inspections, and there's just things going wrong. And he just said to me, he goes, when the hell did it become acceptable that when somebody wants a couple boards replaced, it's now 30 or 50? It's a good question. Like, it used to be, if I can get in, and I'll replace two, three, four. And well, people want... 20, 30, 40 of these. I had one the other day. They want 50 boards replaced. Well, um, I mean, and, and, and that's, again, it's understanding the grading rules. Mm-hmm. And the grading rules are very specific. They're highly technical. And uh, it doesn't mean that every board is the same color. In fact, uh, the first line in the grading rules is natural variations in color are not considered part of the grade. I was brought up on that. Color is not a consideration of grading. It, it may be a byproduct, but it is not a consideration. At what some point, you have to have some kind of reasonable standard to work to. Well, I think with a lot of the pseudo distribu- distribution, like that's happened in in the last decade, it's getting the consumer uh, so much closer to the factory, so much closer to the wholesale distributor, and, and like even me. Uh, we I never spent time with homeowners. I mean, they the, it could take up your whole day, and yeah. we're seeing them more, and their customers are sending them to me more. We're talking more, and, and you know, it's it, my customers. We speak a, we speak a language, and it's very quick. They get what they want, and they get out of here. And when you're not in that rhythm, and a customer comes in that's a retail consumer, you know, they want to talk with you for an hour. Everything the acorn fell off the tree, and how does it sprout? And don't stop, don't miss a beat. All yeah. the way till it's a floor in my house. Yeah. Well, it's it's fascinating. You know, every profession has its own vocabulary. Yes, it does. Yeah. It does. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people are not real careful with their vocabulary. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So, uh, you remember uh, when laminates took over the market? We were doing a show in Worcester, Massachusetts, and we set up all our big displays, walnut, Brazilian cherry, Ipe, you name it. And homeowners were coming through and they'd go harry harry look they've got the prego is this prego it's prego isn't it and they'd go no no that's no that's latex prefab it's prefab latex and you're like what are they speaking <laughs> so what is language it's not it's not you know a uh, uh, pasta dressing it, it's flooring and you're talking about pergo it's a laminate it drove me crazy that like no this was a tree people this isn't plastic drives you crazy and our customers do speak like you you know part of the language i had to learn and i forgot is when people talk in, in grits and they come in and you got any 36 grit? no they used to come in and go i'm gonna cut it with half half yeah then some two odd <laughs> <laughs> i still you know that, god bless norton they still put it on their labels they'll still put you know, three and a half, two and a half. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask you is when, if, if you're involved in the um, more trivial and uh, significant problems, but these can snowball if you, if you mess yeah. up, right? They'll become an, ex- an, ex- uh, an existential problem? Yeah. I, okay. Essentially, um, everything be- becomes almost existential as soon as you get all lawyers involved with it. That, yeah, no, 
That's true. And so the the best dodge for the lawyers is you sign a contract that has binding arbitration under the rules of the American Arbitration Association. That makes sense. And so um, so you'll still get lawyers involved, but you won't have all of the accoutrements of uh, the district court with the judge and the clerk and the blah, blah, blah. And it's not as formal. And mm-hmm. A lot of times, if you're reasonably literate, mm-hmm. And um, you know, spend some time, you know, doing details. You'll find that um, you can manage a lot of that dispute stuff yourself. The trick is, you've got to detach. You have to totally detach your emotions from these disputes. Mm-hmm. There's just no place for them. No, you cannot. Uh, it's not about you know your uh, uh, your personal self worth. It's not about anything else. It's really, at this point, it, it turns into money. Okay, mm-hmm. What is it going to cost? And then you figure out the best way to make a thing get fixed for the least amount of money. For what's fair. Yeah, for what's fair. I mean, what's fair. I mean, um, um, there's always what I like to refer to as the nuclear solution. <laughs> where you, uh, you know, you take a, take a 500-pound bomb, drop it on the house, and then uh, start over. Okay. And uh, you don't do that because this board's the wrong color. Yep. And, oh, uh, no. and, um, um, and there again, uh, you just have to be careful. You, you never, you can never be responsible for what people perceive to have heard. Correct. The trick is that contract and have that language in the contract crisp and accurate and detailed. Hey, Wood Flooring Pros. This is Kim Walgren, the editor of Wood Floor Business. Do you see all the latest products in the industry as soon as they are released? Are you in the know on industry news? Make sure you don't miss a thing by subscribing to the Wood Floor Business e-news. All the wood flooring products, news, magazine articles, article comments, and the latest memes will arrive in your inbox every Monday and Wednesday. To subscribe, go to woodfloorbusiness.com and click on the big green e-news subscription box. Now let's get back to the wisdom of wood flooring legend, Howard Brickman. I wanted to ask you in an example of that um, the folks at the magazine were talking about a, a, a job that you did in, in a showroom in New York City that turned into a, a tricky fiasco. Does that sound familiar to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, so I, she wants me to tell you the story. So, <laughs> you know where this comes cool from, don't you? It comes from Woodfloor Business Magazine. Yeah. Caller in the car, Kim, is going to ask you about the bodega hurling incident. So I make a call to New York City and I go down there and I'm looking at a big fancy office furniture showroom in downtown and so we go and look at the showroom floor is cupped and so i take a moisture reading and it takes me like an hour to talk the lady who runs the showroom into letting me put my pins into the floor Mm -hmm. so that i can get the moisture content in the subfloor the floor is tight it's cupped and the top of the floor is measuring like eight percent so finally they let me put the pins in it and I go start as I start to go down through it, it goes from eight to ten to twelve to thirteen to fourteen in the subfloor. And the subfloor is obviously at a high moisture content. So the floor is swelling on the underside, it's solid flooring. And so, you know, it's a wet subfloor. And there's no obvious evidence of any kind of moisture. So the floor is only a couple of weeks old, a couple of months old at the most. And the guy is, is a young contractor, and he says, uh, Mr. Brickman, he says, uh, when can I have the report? When can I have the report? 
And I said, uh, why don't we go over the somewhere and sit down and have a cup of coffee? And so um, uh, we sit down. I said, uh, what was the moisture content in the subfloor when you installed the floor? It gives me the old, the old deer in the headlights look. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> and <laughs> what's a subfloor? <laughs> I said, I said, you know, when you before you measured, before you install the floor, what was the did you check the moisture content in the subfloor? Oh no, we never do that. I said, well, uh, this is a classic case where the subfloor was at a high moisture content. You install the flooring on top of it. The moisture is being picked up at the underside of the flooring. It's causing the flooring to swell on the underside and it's cupping. And that's why it's tight and it's cupping. And he says, "Well, well, how do I fix it? I said, well, I said, you could sand it, but then it's going to crown. And my guess is these people are not going to tolerate the kind of the appearance of the showroom. It's a real fancy, high fashion type office furniture show. Very high design factors. I said, I don't think they're going to let you let this sit for months. So the alternative is you got to take the floor out, dry the subfloor, or put a barrier down, and then install a new floor. And I said, that's why I don't think you really want me to write a report. I don't think it's, and you're my client. I can't change the facts. I can't change my interpretation of the facts, but there's no reason I have to put it in writing unless, you know, you order me to. And I said, I think it's not, it's, it's absolutely in your worst interest to have me write a report on this. He says, excuse me, Mr. Brickman. He says, and, he, and it's a small bodega we're in, you know, it's like, I like four tables in it and then, you know, a little uh, retail area and, and there's a little uh, bathroom <laughs> off to the side. Uh-oh. So he goes into the bathroom. I figure he has to, you know, go to the little boys' room. He walks in here, closes the door, and I hear, Oh, no. What happened? <laughs> and uh, it's funny. It's. Uh, <laughs> it scared him that much. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. He was, uh, you know, he's, he's, he says, I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I said, you need to figure out how to do this. And I said, you need to go back to your supplier and see if he'll cut you a break on the materials. And then you'll probably have to work for nothing because no one's going to pay you to work in there. And then hopefully you're very careful and you don't damage anything Mm -hmm. and you don't inconvenience them too much. And, And that's the end of it. And so I never heard from him again. Including, I didn't get paid. <laughs> oh, yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help. but I, I mean, I, I had, I had the feel for the guy. I mean, he was, yeah. <laughs> it's so good today because when you, when you used to do a report and you'd mail it to them and hope they would pay you, everybody would be angry and you didn't get it. I, I, I like to do a report and I use this thing in Word. It, it fogs out fifty percent of it on a on a diagonal. <laughs> and if they, if they want to read to pay the rest of it. I get paid before, and I I learned early on, I need to pay, be paid now. You can always come after me. I've had too many people get angry and fight and argue. Yeah. I Listen, the floor tells the story. You get eight of us in here for worth all salt. You're, gonna, you're probably going to get the same report. I can't tailor what I found to tell you that I can defend you. We can fix this. We can come up with solutions, but... You know, and you need to get paid for that. Howard, I did one and I saved, I got the guy a floor. This is so rare. Tore it out, ripped it up, new floor. That's how bad it was, which is so rare. And he stiffed me for $650. 
And I said, if I had said to you I was going to get you a $33,000 floor ripped out and replaced, would you have given me $650? And uh, he goes, well, I don't even have enough money for gas for my boat this summer. And I go, I don't have a boat. <laughs> you, well, you, yeah, I, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go to third-tier wine on my trip to Italy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not buying any $200 wine anymore, okay? So I'm going to I'm gonna have to suck on the grapes for an hour. Yeah. Um, is there, there, there's ways that you could protect yourself, obviously. One is, right, and I, you probably agree with me. First of all, stay the hell out of court. It, it is very rare to go there, and when it does, it's, it's not pretty for anybody. Almost everybody loses except for maybe the attorneys. Uh, you want to avoid that, right, at all costs? Well, exactly, and so um, it's like uh, – uh, swimming in the deep water during a storm. It's not a place that you're familiar with. It's not a place where you know the rules. It's not a place where you understand how to defend yourself. And so you should stay away from it um, uh, at all costs. And sometimes that means, you know, it's kind of like there's a magic number of around $2,000, that people people understand they cannot pay you mm-hmm. because it'll cost you that much to collect the money. Absolutely. Nice. However, there's a workaround on that too if you're if you're if you're good at it. And it's called the mechanics lien. Oh, which, you're the guy, man. I tell you, I instruct people all the time that it, you you are absolutely right. It, it's a blessing. In some states, you you're paid first, and arbitration's all done later. Uh, here, you better be ready to throw out a mechanics lien if you're really truly getting taken advantage of. Yeah, and and you know, you, there's a real responsibility when you do do a mechanics thing. Uh, I mean, you have an obligation to to take that and and put really accurate information into it. I mean, it's it's got to be a a really really ironclad document that mechanics lien. Well, don't you find too that sometimes it's it's as simple as. Um just bringing it into the conversation like i was taught years ago and by my father and and his attorneys and that first step for me would be if i had a problem i would go after somebody and say listen on advice of counsel i'm going to do a b c or d now that could be my dog it could be your dog howard oh i didn't say a lawyer on advice of counsel it would scare people usually enough to say well what do we got to do to be reasonable here um, I had one recently, and you bring this this part up. My wife's a real estate agent. Well, somebody stiffed my contractor for about $7,000, and it was in a cul-de-sac not far from where you live, and it was all new homes. And I was thinking about it, and um, they didn't pay us, and they couldn't get paid. And I looked online. I saw the, it was the subdivision, and I saw the, the real estate, big real estate company, one of the biggies. Yeah. And one woman has a whole cul-de-sac. Like my, my wife, if she's lucky, she'll get three or four houses. I called her, and I said, I just want you to know that um, my wife's a real estate agent, and I, I, I'm not threatening. I just need your help. Um, I'm going to put a mechanics lien on lot 35, unit 35. Your name is on all the other houses. We are not paid for the hardwood flooring there, and I, I want to give you the courtesy of knowing this is all going to get held up. It's probably going to – you're not going to be able to close, as you know. The mechanics lien is going to be put in effect today. We cannot afford to be not, not to be paid. And she said, you know what? Give me, a, give me a second. She called the builder who she represents. That kid called me with a credit card in, I don't know, 20 minutes. Yeah. She didn't want to lose all that. There's creative ways. And you yeah. know, be creative because going to court is a disaster. It's a, here's oh. the gavel. Boom, boom, boom. All right, everybody here today, if you're wasting my time, 
uh, 15 minute recess. There's two types of people here. You have a legitimate uh, argument that we need to sort out fairly or somebody's trying to take advantage of somebody. If you're here to take advantage of somebody, I'm going to be really angry. And then they realize we, maybe we shouldn't even come here. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, you know, I, I, I always like to keep up with these things and there's now a, a service that you can use. It's actually located in new Orleans. Hmm. It's a company called Level Set, oh, wow. and they will do filings for you in all 50 states or all 48 states. Good to know. And so if you don't mind getting a little bit of, I mean, they're, they're, God bless them. You know, they're pretty aggressive once you, they notice you're interested in them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You're on the but, mail list now. But, but, you know, it's funny. I went on their website and I looked at it and they give really, they, they understand all of the, uh, all of the the restrictions on mechanics liens in every jurisdiction, right? which is complicated. And then in places like New England, where you might be living in New Hampshire, but you're working in Maine or Connecticut or Massachusetts or Rhode Island, uh, all of those different s- states have different, you know, laws regarding collecting debts and, and mechanics liens. And so there might be, a requirement that you file it within so many days and you may have to file a notice or you maybe you don't have to file a notice or a notice has to be in a certain form. Uh, you have to have your contract written in a certain way that the notice is, 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 uh, is you're giving advance notice to the customer. Uh, I know that in a lot of commercial work, filing mechanics liens is just part of filing your invoice. Sure, There's a lot of commercial subcontractors that Go ahead and file the lien on the first day they show up on the job. Well, I think people need to understand, too, that when you get this a lot, you file a mechanic lien or you even, I don't want to say threaten, but you discuss it. They'll say, well, fine, I'll just ignore it. Well, do you want to get a college loan for your child or do you need to get money for whatever? When you go to the bank and you want to do some of these things, they'll say, you know, there's a lien. And it's pending. And now you're like, oh, I got to go help that floor guy that probably now wants five times what I was going to give him. Uh, And some people, as you know, they take advantage of a situation. They throw the complaints right out there just to get out of something. Or me as a distributor, you go back and you go, well, let me ask you this. What if we gave you $1,200? Okay, I'll take it. Well, what happened to the, my heart is broken and my floors are tragically yeah, flawed. No, my, you ruined my life, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's, it's yeah, I'll, I'll never, never recover. The, I'm in therapy. You know, I had to have surgery. <laughs> yep. I'll never play the piano again. It's been my lifelong dream. Um, you know, I wanted to do too, uh, because I've, I've taken, an, I knew I would take an hour of your time up easily because we never get a chance to talk and I've always wanted to I talk know, with I you. Always- I miss not visiting with you. uh... (laughs) Well, we got rid of our, you know, we've, we've, we clearly covered our acronyms. I want to rifle through just a couple quick questions and I'm going to let you go to the corgis and your grandchild. What would you be doing if you weren't, if you didn't? I'd probably be a carpenter somewhere. Yeah. Like working with your hands. Yeah. Uh, Who's your favorite person in the wood flooring business? Ooh, my favorite person in the wood floor business. I had um, I had a man that I worked with in Memphis. His name was Claude Taylor. You've never heard of him, I'm sure. Nope. He was the sales manager for Bruce at one time. And then he became the sales manager for a company called Memphis Hardwood Flooring. And uh, he was just one of those guys that could do everything really well. He was very smart. He was very articulate. 
it, he, he made everything look effortless. Five tool floor pro. They got it all. Yeah. 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 And so he basically started the, um, the whole idea of doing national training classes. That was his baby. He was doing business with big distributors all over the country. And so um, um, he did a lot of this original spade work to get people to come in. We started a class for doing hardwood flooring installation training in Memphis when I worked at NOFMA. And so uh, he was just an amazing person. So his name was Claude Taylor, and he was a gentleman. And he was one of the people primarily responsible for all of this National Trade Association stuff that's basically down to the grassroots. So NWFA, whether they really acknowledge it or even understand it, was was basically the the, the creature of Claude Taylor. Okay? Amazing. Is there somebody that you have not met yet in the industry that you know about that you'd like to meet? Oh, uh, well, it's hard to know what you don't know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. We we all um, know a certain circle of a few people that you hear yeah, about all it, the time. There's, there's, there's guys that I love to spend time with, and that's and I love spending time around floor mechanics. I do, too. I just really love it. Um, uh, one of my favorite guys right now uh, uh, that I hadn't really known that long is Mike Purser down in Atlanta. I, I just interviewed him. He texted. Yeah. I've We've texted five times today. We had so much fun talking. And oh, he's just—he's such a fun guy. If you ever get a chance to go work with him, I, I volunteered. I said, "Listen, tell me yeah. when I would like," because I like to try the passive thing. And that, yeah. and he, yeah, he was a heck of a lot of fun. I'm, I really, all you guys are. It's. I feel like um, uh, it's like you're the graduating class, and and it's finally my chance to get out and chat with you guys because it's a whole different yeah. it's a whole different gig. But do you you and I both love woodwork with wood. I've built guitars and things. Do you have a favorite? Like you're not going to let this thing go ever. This is going to be a grandchild. Do you have that favorite tool? Uh, I'm I'm still a big fan. I love hand tools. Like oh, I like Japanese slitting saws. I like the and, Japanese saws. Yeah. I like a, a good plane. Yep. I like a good scraper. A good set of chisels. Um, uh, uh, I mean, those those good hand tools. Uh, just uh, they're more pleasant to work with. Um, uh, and a floor scraper. You'd be amazed what you can do with a floor scraper. I mean. You you can make adjustments on things that are like ten thousandths of an inch with a floor scraper. You'd be surprised. Well, no, you wouldn't be surprised how good it, when you can really sharpen a scraper. I used to say people would hand them to me, and I'm I'm very prideful that I could do surgery with when I sharpen a scraper. Yeah. And I have found so many things to do with a scraper that oh. you don't even think of save you out of all sorts of jams. Yeah. So, uh, and I love, I love my festival. Um, I mean, that, uh, that, that, those track saws, a, a good track saw. I mean, I, I, th- I think of the way we used to do stuff and, uh, I mean, uh, it, it replaces a table saw on a job. Absolutely. I, I used to lay a, a plank of pine on the floor, screw it to the floor, run my saws and edge guide, and, and like you said, now now they have track saws and they're phenomenal. Oh, it's unbelievable! Uh, it really is unbelievable. And so, uh, so I mean, um, uh, I you know, it's 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 not just one tool, and and I, of course, I've still got, I still run. I bought my first set of Hummels in 1982. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, 
I should never have sold that machine. No. Okay. <laughs> and I now I'm I, I bought it some used machines from a guy in Worcester. And we're talking around, and I said, uh, we we're talking about. I said, what are you using for sanding machines? And he says, I got some Hummels, and he says, but uh, I says I'm having trouble with a couple of them. And so he walks over to this closet, and there's this. He opens the door in his little closet, and there's two piles of Hummel stuff. Oh no. <laughs> Oh no! It's two Hummels. Got a collection, and it's you know it's it's two bodies, you know, two handles, two motors, you know, it's it's pretty much everything of two Hummels. <laughs> Not everything is working on each machine. Okay. Oh jeez. I said, uh, I said, well, what are you going to do with those? He says, I'm going to get rid of these things. I said, well, how much you want for them? And he said, uh, I don't know, two thousand dollars. I said, okay. So I write him a check, take him home. And I'm able to cobble one machine out of all the parts. So I get one machine to work. For $2,000. For 2000 It's worth yeah. 4500 now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, so it's, but it's going to take me about 1500 because I got to rewind a motor. I got to put a new controller on it, new bearings, new top roller, new drum, you know, the whole deal. And so um, uh, that's going to cost me about $1,500. So I'm able to sell the rebuilt machine for like $3,200. Yeah. So I rebuilt the machine and it, and I look, I look at the nameplate on it and it says made in Western Germany. <laughs> Western Germany. <laughs> so, you know, it's made before 1990 yeah, or Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so wait a minute, you bought uh, sorry, a, a West German uh, Hummel from a guy full of Hummel parts. It's like Silence of the Hummels in this guy's house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like a, a serial killer of yes, sanding exactly. <laughs> it puts the the capacitor in the basket. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I love those machines. I still got two Randmeister edgers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I love those. There was Lagler, Lag, Lag, Hummel, uh, Randmeister. Yeah. That's not the one with the, the bicycle. Yeah, handle. the same with the bicycle handle. <laughs> the it's about 50 pounds. Uh, all, the, all the Americans hate it, but it's quiet. Yeah. Uh, it, there's very little to go wrong with it. Is that 110 or two? They were in that 230. A lot of the European stuff. They were both. Two. Yeah, they were yeah, both. I, okay. I, I, I had one of each. Okay. Be honest. You have one scrap of uh, anything but hardwood in your home. Is there a carpet anywhere in that place? Or you, you? There's a runner on one of the sets of stairs. There you go. That's that's, that's good. And, and there's some throw rugs in front of the kitchen sink and the back door and that kind of thing. Well, I'll tell you, the only carpet I have was my my parents when they passed away. We cleaned the house out, and they still had the classic 1975 avocado shag green and shag orange carpet. rust wow. shag carpet I mean, Remember? you can frame that and put that on the wall right Dude, I, howard i cut it and i'd line my toolbox with it i still have it oh yeah remember it was supposed to last five years they kept it for it well listen i'm gonna let you roll because we've we've talked plenty and i want to save it to maybe if if you'll help me out and, and talk with me another time it's an honor you know when when i was a kid i wanted to be a pilot i went to school and, and i became a floor guy so people would go well what are you going to be when you grow up i'm like howard brickman <laughs> that's i'm aspiring i'm right be careful, behind be you be careful what you wish for hey i'm right behind <laughs> you. you you get bored and you go just give it a diggins i'll take it howard I want the scraps. I got to thank you for just jumping on with me. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. It's always wonderful to spend time with you. It is good. All right, sir. We will talk again soon. All right. Will do. Thank you, Howard. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care, sir. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the All Things Wood Floor podcast. If you'd like to read the articles Howard has written for Wood Floor Business over the years and see some of his best projects, go to woodfloorbusiness.com and enter Howard Brickman, that's B-R-I-C-K-M-A-N, in the search box at the top of the homepage. And if you liked this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to All Things Wood Floor so you don't miss a single episode. Oh, 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 oh